Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. James chapter 2, James continues writing this letter, and now here's the second chapter, second part, as he is going to continue talking to the churches. James chapter 2, verse 1. If you're there, can you say amen? Amen. The word of the Lord says this, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man you stand over there or sit down at my feet have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts listen my beloved brothers has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Verse number eight, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Verse 13, last verse. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Come on, I want you to underline that last verse. Let's read it one more time. What a way to wrap up this next section in chapter 2. Verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love uh, James chapter 2. James does not hold back, and he's going to uh, keep helping the believers in his day and age, which I believe is true for us today, as he continues writing this letter that we are studying this fall. If you're taking notes, if you have your study guide or watching at home, today I want to talk from James chapter 2, those first 13 verses, out of this uh, topic or this headline this title, Finding Mercy, Finding Mercy. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Let's talk about these first uh, 13 verses in chapter 2, and I believe that today James is going to speak to all of us as we continue being the church of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We'll talk about uh, James, and then we'll go home and watch the Dolphins win and stay undefeated. Can I get an amen? 
group were believers here in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for this day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. God, we thank you so much for every service. Thank you for each and every person that calls Calvary Home that's here today or watching online, connected additional seating, wherever our friends and family are. Thank you for what you're doing in this house. Thank you for all the salvations, all the baptisms. God, you are on the move. And uh, God, we're in awe of it. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives as we're studying this book this fall. Speak to us, open up our hearts. Reveal yourself to us. You are good, you do good, and you are awesome. We thank you and we love you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that all of Calvary Church says. Amen. Oh, come on, all of Calvary Church says. Amen. Come on, 11 a.m., can you make some noise for Jesus one more time? Come on. James is, is penning this letter, writing this letter to the churches in the known world at that time, but it's very true for us today. And the next topic that he's going to address is favoritism. Somebody say favoritism. favoritism. He's talking about favoritism or, or partiality. He's saying you are treating some people better than others. You're treating the rich very well and you're treating the poor wrongly. And so he wants to address this. Now, now remember, the, the larger point of this book, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, the larger point of this book is faith. Somebody say faith. faith. James is saying we have faith that works. Several weeks ago, we said that James really, what he's saying is that your faith works in everyday life. No matter the situation, we have a faith that works. Can I get an amen? amen. So as he's talking about favoritism or partiality, he's really saying you are favoring men because you don't have faith in God. You're trusting that the rich man can help you out more than God can help you out. And so you're giving them better treatment. You're giving them better treatment. Have you ever treated or seen somebody treat somebody better than another? You know who's like that, who's a good revealer of treatments? Babies. <laughs> Babies will treat some people amazingly, and if you're a parent, they'll treat some other people poorly, and you have to ask for forgiveness, and you're extremely embarrassed. We have, we have a girl now, baby girl, she's going on 10 months, Aria, and uh, she's getting to the point now where somebody carries her that she does not know, she has no idea who this person is, Parents, you know that stage where they start to cry, where that person holds them? Like, Can I see your baby? He's like, absolutely, hold my baby. I have no problem with people holding my baby, but, but she may start crying. And when she starts crying, it's absolutely embarrassing, and so you have to ask for forgiveness. Like, it's not you. She's teething. She's just in a bad mood. And... No, she doesn't like you. <laughs> I started thinking, it's not really that she doesn't like them. It's that she doesn't trust them. The other day, somebody was holding Aria, and, and she started to cry, and she started, I'm like, I'm so sorry, she's been really sick. And, and as soon as she saw me, she stretched out her little arms toward me. It was an awesome moment. I'm like, first time. I was like, come here, girl, come to Papa, right? I grabbed my girl. And I realized why she wanted to come to me is not just because she likes me, but because she trusts me. And because she trusts me, she gives me better treatment. You following along so far? This is the favoritism that James is addressing now in chapter 2. He's saying some of you are giving better treatment to the rich because you think that they can take care of you more than the poor person or really than God himself. 
And so you're favoring and treating the rich better. Have you ever favored somebody? When I was in high school, I'll never forget sophomore year, my favorite teacher, I favored her, was Mrs. Berg. I went to Southridge. Shout out to all the Spartans from Cutler Ridge. A few of us in here. That's right. We rolled together. We rolled deep. <laughs> it's like three of us. <laughs> Mrs. Berg's sophomore year was the absolute best because she treated us well. She would give me a day pass for me to be in television production all day long. And so whenever I didn't want to do a class presentation and I wanted to skip my English class, I would say they really need me in television production. I have a day pass. She's now with the Lord and so she can't be criticized or judged or followed by the school system. So God bless you. But um, she was the absolute best teacher. So I treated her better and I trusted her better than the teachers who really wanted me to get a good education. Sometimes we really, we really trust the wrong things. I put it this way today. Wrong faith never leads to the right source. Wrong faith never leads to the right source. When we put our faith in the wrong place, it ends up taking us to wrong sources. And so now what's happening in the church is that their source of provision, their source of income, their source of comfort is now coming from the rich. And so I'm surrounding myself with people that can hook me up and I'm treating people well. When there is no faith in God, we start to treat men with favor. Are you following me? When there is no faith in God, we start to treat men with favor. So what can happen in the church is that classism begins to develop. Elitism begins to happen. Segregation. We ostracize those that really can't do anything for us. We, we categorize people. And all of a sudden, in the church of God, in the house of God, there is racism, classism, elitism, we are together, us four, and no more. I don't know if I can trust that person. They don't look like they have it all together. They don't look like me. They don't look like they can do anything for my life. I find more my identity in people that I want or that look like me or that have something that I want. And so in the house of God, we start to bring in division, classism, segregation, and racism when this is not what the kingdom of God should look like. And maybe it's happened in your life as well where you favored somebody more than another. Well, this person, they can do something for me. They can make me look better. They can give me something that I want. And before you know it, you are holding judgment or you're being partial or you're looking down upon people that don't have it all together, that don't look like you. Maybe some of us, we've been Christian for 15, 20 years and we've become professional Christians. So we look down on those that don't look like it. And so we look across an auditorium and we're like, how could she come into church like that? <laughs> and judgment begins to happen. And I can't believe he's wearing that. Is that a tattoo? Oh, they're going to hell. <laughs> Is that cigarettes I smell on them? Well, I thought this was 
the church of Jesus Christ, where anybody can come in and anybody can receive grace, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done. This is the house of God. We can't allow division to come in to separate us. This is not a place for the elite. This is not a place for those that are good and perfect. This is not a place for those who think that they no longer sin. Oh, come on. This is a hospital for sinners. This is not a social club. It's the house of God. It's the house of mercy. It's the whole of God. Come on, there is no special group. And I think often what we do is that we make church a social club. Where's your member ID? Because you still look like you don't have it all together. And all of a sudden it's the elites all walking together. And they look across the room and they look at people walking in through the parking lot. Let that never be the case in Calvary Church. Some of us if you've experienced that here or somewhere else, I want to be the first to apologize, but I want to tell you that is not the kingdom of heaven. And some of us, we've been criticized. Some of us have been ostracized because religious people think they are now all good. And now, thank God, I no longer smell like sin. I no longer look like sin. And it's like, who made you perfect and who made you the judge? And who made you to favor one group and not the other? But we love to hang out with people that can hook us up or that look good or that have something we want. It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning when we all just hang out with our groups in our churches and this church can't combine with that church and this church is better and I only hang out with people of this color or this race. I thought that this song that we sang in Sunday school said, oh, Jesus loves all the little children, red and yellow, black and white. Oh, come on, in God's house, we are all welcome. Come on, I'm glad that when I came to God, I found mercy. I found grace. Anybody thankful that when you were lost, when you were broken, when you were poor in spirit, he found you in mercy. He found you with grace. I didn't deserve it. I was lost and confused. I was dead in my sin, but my God forgave me. My God accepted me. My God embraced me. My God is good. I should have been lost. I should have been dead, but my God is good. And he opened up his arms and he wrapped me up. Anybody thankful that when you were a drunk, that when you were lost, his grace found you. His grace forgave. Somebody give God some praise in the building this morning. Oh, come on, man. I never forget. Oh, come on. When I was cracked out, when I was lost, when I was confused, his grace picked me up and found. Somebody give God a big praise. Come on. I can't believe they're here. Look in row three. There's a sinner. If it was not for the grace of God, none of us would be in here. If it was not for the grace of God, none of us deserve forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to earn it, deserve it. It is the grace and the gift of God. Come on, if you're thankful for that, somebody give God a praise. And I think the church, professional Christians, be careful from becoming professional critics. Mother Teresa said, if you judge people, you have no time to love people. How can I love people if I'm constantly judging them, criticizing them, pointing out what's wrong in their life? Maybe their sin is evident and your sin is hidden. At the end of the day, we're all sinners. And I can't just hang around people that I like or that have it all together or that look like they do or that can do me favors. This is the kingdom of God. 
Who am I to withhold grace from anybody? Come on, who are we to say who deserves grace and who doesn't? Who are we to hold unforgiveness or grudges against a brother or a sister, a mother or a father when our father has forgiven us of all that we've done? Come on, anybody thankful for that God? I put it this way today. So today, give to others openly what you have received from God freely. Who am I to withhold? I will give to all the grace that God has given me when I didn't deserve it and when I couldn't earn it. And so don't let the church ever become a place, James says, where you favor some or are partial with some and you look down on others. Remember, James has been talking about growing in our faith. He, he doesn't want us to stay as babies in our faith. We talked about this several weeks ago. James wants us to develop and mature in our faith. He says you have faith that works, and so use your faith. Grow in that faith. And so he's talking to the church and he says, I, I want you to be strong and mature in your faith. And he says, I don't want you to be partial or I don't want you to show uh, partiality or favoritism to somebody that walks in. Chapter two, one of the first things he does is he gives a big don't. Don't show favoritism or partiality. By the way, if you want a real practical book, how can Christian life look like? What do, I, what do I do as a Christian? James is one of the most practical books in the Bible. That's why we're studying it this fall. He, he gives a lot of do's and don'ts. This is one of the big don'ts. Don't combine faith and favoritism. As Christians, don't have faith in Jesus and then play favoritism with man. Faith comes from the word. Favoritism comes from the world. And he's saying those two don't combine together. In fact, at the end of chapter one, if you were here two weeks ago, he says, hey, purify yourself and don't let the world become a stain in your life, basically. In other words, don't be, don't be infiltrated by worldly thoughts, worldly patterns. We are Christians, and so Christians live differently. Amen? In other words, the world is going to play favorites. The world is going to play hookups and connections and what can this person do for me? Some of us, we, we know, we, we work in corporate America or you, you're in an office setting, you're either a boss or you're an employee and you see it, right? Like, how can I climb up this ladder? Who can hook me up? And if, if I befriend this person, I'll be in with that group and my identity comes from being with this person and, and if I surround myself with the elite, then I'll be better in my office. He says, that's a worldly way of thinking. That's not the church way of doing and operating. Don't bring that into the world. Don't bring the world's methods into church standards. But it happens. It happens. Well, let me, let me hang out just with the pastors. And so I'll, I'll, I'll overlook the parking team. If We almost run over the parking team because we're in a rush to hurry with the prophets. <laughs> what are you doing today? Well, I'm hanging out with apostles and I'm hanging out with bishops and I'm hanging out with so-and-so and we let titles get in the way of the heart of God. I'm all for titles. I get it, right? Like, I, I understand that there's people who become something in life. I'm a pastor. I get it. I understand. But, but, but we so often let that draw lines in the kingdom of God. And James is saying, don't bring that into God's house. In God's house, we're all equal. Because of the blood of Jesus, all of us have now received grace. And so he's saying, I don't want you to play favorites. I want you to mature. I want you to mature. 
So show no favoritism or partiality, right? Where do we see that in scripture as well? Paul writes this in Romans chapter two. Look what Paul writes. Romans chapter two, verse 11. For God shows no partiality, right? If, if you're in here and you're like, I don't know about, I don't know about James. I think James was off. Is there another scripture? Sure, Romans 2, 11. For God shows no partiality. You're welcome. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. This is pretty plain. Another translation. I like the way the New King James puts it, or the King James. For there is no respect of persons with God. Partiality or favoritism or respect of persons, what it means is not mistreat people, don't respect people. What it means that God is not a respecter of persons, that word in the original, in the Greek, what it means when you respect somebody, what it means is that you receive them according to their face or appearance. So when it says that God is not a respecter of persons, it means that God doesn't respect face, he respects faith. God does not accept us based on our faith, Face or appearance, he respects us based on our faith. When we believe in faith, we become children of God. He didn't receive me because I look good. He didn't receive me because I had my clothes all well put together. He didn't receive me because I had finally no sin. And then I came to the church. He didn't love me because I knew the first two songs that we sang Sunday at 11 a.m. No, he loved me because of his grace, of his mercy. When I wasn't well put together, when I was still lost and confused. Come on, he loved us. He forgave us. He adopted us and redeemed us. And so if God is not a respecter of persons, neither should we. James is saying, don't receive people based on their face or appearance. We are Christians. And Christians are supposed to mature in their faith. And if you are respecting people because of their face or appearance, you are being an immature Christian. Thank you, James, for being so nice and kind. <laughs> As we've seen all throughout the letter, James does not care. This is a letter that's going to confront us and challenge us. If you don't want to grow in your faith, don't read James. But if you want to be a real believer, let's read through James and ask God, challenge me and make me better. And so he's saying, hey, you, you want to be mature? Treat everybody the same. Because the immature Christian only talks the talk. The mature Christian, oh, walks the talk. And there's a difference between those who say they believe in Jesus and those who act like they believe in Jesus. And for a long time, all throughout history, starting with there till now, there've been a bunch of Christians that say they love Jesus, but never act like they really love or know Jesus. They mistreat people. They are condescending. They are elitism. They, they play people down. They play the game of favors. And James is saying that is not the kingdom of God. If you really love Jesus, love your neighbor, love the poor, love those that are ostracized, love the ones that are lost. That's the church of Jesus. So James says, this is not the kingdom of God. Warren Wearsby put it this way. The mature Christian practices truth. Immature people talk about their beliefs, but the mature person lives his faith. I love this last part. Hearing God's word and talking about God's word can never substitute for doing God's word. Hearing God's word and talking about God's word can never substitute for doing God's word. In other words, a lot of us, Warren Wearsby saying, 
oh, we hear God's word. We're in church every Sunday. We got the notes. We got the suit. We got the tie. We got the dance. We got the tongues. We got the prophecy. And we got the Pentecostal turnaround. That's all great. And we talk about it in our connect groups and we hang out with our friends and only friends that look like us and talk like us, but we talk about God's word. Wasn't church amazing? Oh, shit about a Honda, but I bought a Mitsubishi. And we speak in tongues and we pray over one another. That's great. But when we see a poor person or a homeless person or when we see somebody that is lost in sin or a Christian who still doesn't have it all together and the brother or the sister is still acting a little wacky, we begin to judge them and we begin to look down on them. And he says, that's never a substitute for doing God's word. Doing God's word is going out of your way and loving the unlovable. Going out of your way and washing their feet forgiving those that are lost forgiving those that are confused holding no grudges come on that's doing God's God's way the way of Jesus so James he's going to bring up an example and I know the keys are playing and that's only my intro <laughs> James is going to bring up an example James chapter 2 we just read it a moment ago look at it one more time James chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 he brings up an example he says, hey, show no partiality when you are in church. And then he gets to the point where he says, oh, suppose if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. In the Greek, it's your synagogue or your auditorium. If a man with the golden ring, the real Greek translation says many golden rings and shiny clothes come in, and then a poor person wearing raggedy clothes or shabby clothes come in, oh, watch what you pay attention to. If you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and you tell him sit here in a good place and to the poor person you tell him sit over there or sit on the floor, you've now become a judge of people. Remember, he's writing to Christians that are going through hard times. Remember we talked about this? The church at this time is being persecuted, it's being ridiculed. But what he's saying is, hey, hard times call for real faith. Even though you're being pressed on all sides and even though you're going through persecution, even though people are criticizing the gospel, you know what the world wants to see? Real Christians who really love God. Because if they start to see the world in the church, why do they need to come into the church? So he says, you have faith for everyday life. Faith that works. So how does faith help us grow? How does faith change us? I think he highlights three ways that faith changes us. Number one, if you're taking notes, he says faith changes what you see. Faith changes what you see. Somebody say, what I see. Today, what do you see? He says, if you pay attention to the gold rings and if you pay attention to the nice clothing, you're paying attention to the wrong thing. Where are your eyes? Are you paying attention to only those that come in that have the really nice cars and you know they can hook you up? Do you only want to hang out with certain people because they... They dress well, they look good, they smell good. Faith, people of real faith, they don't pay attention to that. That's not an issue in their eyes. They realize we're all brothers and sisters in the household of God. There was a pastor several years ago who wanted to see how his church was doing when it came to the differences between classes, racism, elitism in his church. And so he decided one weekend to dress up like a homeless man. And he got there really early Sunday morning and he started coming to the parking lot with a shopping cart and he'd put on this fake long beard and you couldn't tell who he was. And he just sat at the steps of the church. And he, little did he, the church know he was recording all of this in different cameras all throughout the parking lot, but 
He said, let's see how our church is doing. Do we overlook people? What are we paying attention to? And as the church started to come, he was really surprised because the church was a loving church, a caring church. And one by one, the church started stopping us. People were walking into the building. Sir, do you want to come in? Sir, how can I help you? Sir, here's a coffee. Sir, here's a water. Sir, how can I help you? Here's some money. Do you need a place to stay tonight? And he was extremely encouraged. Another pastor did something similar on a Sunday. He, he stood in the lobby of his church and he put a table. And on one side he stood, on the other side was a young man, a teenager that was serving on Dream Team. And he's like, let's see how many people stop for me and don't pay attention to the teenager. The whole church was drawn to the pastor. Nobody stopped to say hi to the teenager the entire day. And he's like, what are our eyes on? He says, do we have eyes of favoritism or do we have eyes of Jesus? Eyes of favoritism cause faulty vision. If you have eyes of favoritism, you are going to put your eyes on the wrong thing. I'm glad that when I read through scripture, you and I, we can read through the gospels. We see that Jesus had amazing eyes to look at what the world would call worthless and yet give grace, love, and make something out of nothing. When he saw Peter, he didn't see a man who was in dysfunction and crazy and had a bad temperament. You know what he saw? He saw the rock who would believe in him and would be able to lead the church. When he saw Matthew, the tax collector, he didn't see a man who was robbing the Jews out of their money. He saw a future disciple that would help build the church of Jesus Christ. When he saw the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he didn't see a woman that was ostracized that you couldn't speak to. No, he sat down right next to her. The woman herself was surprised. What are you doing here? And Jesus knew that was a future believer in him. When he saw Zacchaeus on a tree, he just didn't see this man that was indulged in his money and only think about money. No, he said, that's a future disciple. I'm going to invite myself to his house over for dinner. When he saw Paul, he didn't just see a murderer. He didn't see somebody that was hating Christians. He saw a future evangelist who would write 13 letters in the New Testament. Today, are we boxing people in seasons or do we see with eyes of faith and say, I'm not going to hold them to the past. I'm not going to hold them to where they're at right now. I'm going to see with eyes of faith. I'm going to see with eyes that can see what God wants to do in their life. Come on, church. We need to get better vision. Today, how are you viewing people? You thought that when Jesus had hope and grace on Peter, he would get it. Years after Jesus was dead, resurrected and ascended, one day Peter is in his house and this man named Cornelius calls him. They come to his house and they're like, Cornelius, a Roman official is calling you over to Caesarea. And it was a day's trip. And Peter's like, Cornelius, a Roman official, he wants you to come and talk about the word of God. And Peter was confused. You thought that after hanging with Jesus, he would get it. And Peter's like, I don't know if I can go talk to Cornelius. I don't know if I should hang with people like that. And he walks into the house and he sees that Cornelius and his whole family believe in God. These are Gentiles. They're not Jews. Jews and Gentiles, they couldn't even eat together. And Peter's in the house and he's like, they've all believed in God. They've received the Holy Spirit. Who am I to judge? And look what the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Another translation says, now I understand that God shows no partiality. And it's like, now? Peter, now? After you've been walking with Jesus for three years, now you get it? You know what James' prayer is, what our prayer is for my life, for our life, for our church? That we would have a now I understand moment today in church. Now I understand. That's not about titles or positions or classism or the rich or the poor. This is the kingdom of God. 
Do you have eyes of faith? Do you have eyes of Jesus? Or do you have eyes of favoritism? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look to his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the... Come on, the Lord looks on the... Today, I wonder if we're judging people based on their appearance, their past, where they come from, what they've done, what they can do for us. Or do we have eyes of faith that look inside and say, God can still do more. If he did it with me, he can do it with them. Faith changes how you see. Number two, faith changes how you speak. Going back to James, James chapter two. James says, suppose two men walk in, one with gold rings and nice clothes and a poor man. He says, and you pay attention or look at the rich man. Then you say, number two, he's going to go into speaking. What do you say to the rich? Sit here next to me. I have a seat right here, buddy. <laughs> and afterwards, I'm going to jump in your BMW and we're going to go grab some lunch at Capitol Grill. <laughs> and you say to the poor person, hey, you sit over there or sit right here on my feet on the floor. You know what this makes us realize? James is talking about the power of the tongue. If we're not careful, we bring division by how we speak. Today, I wonder how we're, how we're speaking about people. How do we speak about our city? How do we speak about people in our city in different neighborhoods, different races, different classes? Are we, are we causing division instead of bringing unity? James says, faith, real faith, if you really are a Christian, oh, you'll talk a whole lot differently. It reminds me of Jesus and the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. The Bible says that she was caught in the act of adultery meaning somebody was looking. She was caught, the Greek says, literally in the act. What were those guys doing? They dragged her out of the bedroom. They brought her before Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law calls for you to stone her. What do you say? And what did Jesus do? Just went down to the ground and started writing in the sand. Nobody knows what he wrote in the sand. Everybody has different opinions. And then he looks up and he says, uh, oh, if any of you are without sin throw away <laughs> go at it and one by one they started dropping their rocks and they started walking away I just think sometimes we talk so much differently than Jesus talks hey this person was caught in the act of adultery what do you say stone them right now they shouldn't come into church they shouldn't join the assembly look at that person look how they're walking into church like, are we speaking like Jesus are we treating people like Jesus? I'm not saying that there's no consequences to our sin. For sure there's consequences. But God forbid we ever think we are better than. And our position is ever one of rocks throwing it over people. No, we are like Jesus. And we have our arms extended saying, here, I have a heart of restoration more than condemnation. Because that's the gospel of God. Oh, come on, there's consequences. But I won't condemn you. I'll let God take care of that. I'm here to restore. I'm here to help. I'm here to put you back on your feet. Come on, how are we speaking today? And I think a lot of us, if we're not careful, we'll just show a good talk but not a good walk. Jesus, he warned about this. The New Testament warns about this. We get to 1 John, and, and John writes about this. In 1 John chapter 4, he says, if anyone say, says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a, a liar. Thank you, John. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In other words, I can't come to church and say I love God 
and hold a grudge against my father, my brother, my mother, look down upon people who are less than, criticize people, ostracize, categorize people. If you do that, the Bible says you're a liar, you don't love God. Whew. That's challenging. James says, oh, you, you're mistreating the poor? By the way, it's the poor that God chooses. James chapter 2, we just read that. Why? Because the poor people, their only hope is God. So for the poor, it's much easier to trust in God because they don't have nothing else to trust. Rich people, they look to their sources more than they do God. So he's saying, be careful how you speak because it's more often than not the nobodies that God chooses and turns them into somebodies. Faith changes what you see. Faith changes how you speak. And lastly, we'll finish with, then faith changes how you act. He's saying, hey, are you really Christians? He's writing this letter. Again, he's writing it to them, but it's for sure real and true for us. And he's saying, hey, are you really a believer? You're really a believer. If you're really a believer, he says, number one, you're going to have joy and trials. We talked about that several weeks ago. If you're really a believer, he says, you're going to be triumphant over temptation. Two weeks ago, he says, if you're really a believer, oh, you're going to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And then he says, if you're really a believer, oh, you're not going to show favoritism and you are going to act like a Christian. Faith changes the way we act. It reminds me of what the church has done throughout history. By the way, yes, a lot of people have gotten it wrong throughout history, but a lot of people have gotten it right. And I thank God for heroes of the faith, men and women who stood up and decided to be like Jesus. It changed history. John Wesley was preaching in London. And in the churches of London at this time, this is several hundred years ago, they wouldn't allow the coal miners to come in because they were dirty, they were the poor, they were the ostracized. And so George Whitfield, another hero man of God, started preaching in the fields. And he called Wesley because Whitfield was coming to America to preach. And he said, can you take over my revival? And John Wesley went and the coal miners started coming out to the fields. And John Wesley started preaching to all the poor coal miners. And revival broke out in the fields of England. Where the church didn't want to go, where religion didn't want to go, one man said that's where Jesus would go. And he started preaching the gospel. And the Wesleyan revival broke out. You can read about it. Because he started preaching to the poor coal miners out in the fields. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. I think about William Booth. William Booth had a heart. He was an evangelist for the poor and the broken. And so Sunday mornings, he started bringing in to the Church of London, the drunks and the prostitutes he would find on the street and the drug addicts. And it got to a point where the priest told him, hey, no, they can't come in. What are you doing? And he said, well, if they can't come in here, then we'll have church outside. And little by little, he started preaching the gospel in the streets. And William Booth became the founder of the Salvation Army that still exists today. All because he decided to take the gospel out to the streets, to the drunks, to the drug addicts, to the prostitutes. Today, the salvation is still bringing people to Jesus in every street, in every corner around the world. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. I think about Chuck Smith. We saw a movie about him recently in the hippie movement. 
in California in the 70s, there was a bunch of hippies. They were all smoking and drinking and they were all talking about peace and love because they were high off LSD. And no church wanted anything to do with them. And there was a man named Chuck Smith who allowed them to come into church. And the people who thought they had it all together and dressed really nice said, what are these hippies doing in here? They're putting their feet barefoot all over our chairs. They have long hair. Some of them come in smelling, reeking like weed. What are you doing? They shouldn't even be in here. Chuck Smith is like, no, let them come in. But they're barefoot. Well, if you're worried about the carpet, let's rip it out. But they need the gospel. And the Jesus movement started in the 70s. And he decided to open up his own church called Calvary Chapel. And it started in Costa Mesa, California. Today, over a thousand Calvary chapels exist around the world. And it's because of Chuck Smith who started preaching Jesus to those that were far, to the hippies, to the drug addicts, to the prostitutes. Come on, that's the church of Jesus that we just don't focus on those who look or got it all together. Come on, they will go out to every street that we can go to the drug dealers, the prostitutes, the corners. Let the church of Jesus be a place where people can find mercy. Come on, in every cafe, in every restaurant, wherever we go, let us be a person. Let us be people where people can find mercy in our heart. Come on, church. Let us never be people that put up walls of separation. Let's take the gospel to every corner, every block, every neighborhood. Let's stop judging. Let's be the church of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Come on, that's the gospel. Jesus says, oh, the story of the Good Samaritan, remember him? where the priest walked by this man that was beaten up because he was a Samaritan. The Levite passed by this man because he was a Samaritan. The Samaritan was the worst of the worst for the Jews. But the Samaritan stopped, the good Samaritan stopped, and he helped this Jew, this fellow brother. And he put bandages on him and he took him to a hotel and he paid for his food, put him on his donkey. He paid for a night at the hotel. Jesus says, that is showing mercy. I think it's in Luke. Luke chapter 10, if I'm not mistaken, or 14. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Come on, if we're going to be the church of Jesus, let's go and show mercy. Why don't we stand up to our feet all across this place? If you're here today, you say, Alex, I don't know, it sounds okay, but I'm so far from God. There's sin in my life. Alex, we have no idea where I've been or what I've done. God probably wants nothing to do with me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and I'm going to get right this week that I'll come back next week. I want to tell you God wants everything to do with you. The gospel is not go get, get everything right and then come back to God. No, the gospel is come to God and he'll help you get everything right. Today, the Bible says salvation is for today. Tomorrow is promised for no man. Whenever your eye closed, every head bowed, today if you're in here and you're, there's sin in your life, Today, if you're in here, you're saying, Alex, I'm far from God. That may be true, but I want to tell you, God loves you more than you can imagine. The Bible says, for the wages or the penalty of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible says, for all have sinned. I've sinned, you've sinned. We've all done wrong. There's not one person better than another. We've all done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong, and our sin separates us from God. But God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. Today, if you're in here, you're saying, Alex, I got shame, I got guilt, I got sin, but I need a new beginning. 
The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Jesus came, he grabbed my sin, your sin. He went up on a cross. He carried the sins of the world on his shoulders. On that cross, he paid the ultimate price for sin. Our sins should have killed us, but Jesus says, I'll let it kill me so that you can receive life and life to the fullest. Jesus went down to a grave. He was dead for three days. But after three days, Jesus Christ, he resurrected. The Bible says Jesus is alive. Today is the day of salvation. Come on, with every eye closed, head bowed, here, additional seating online. If you're saying, Alex, I need forgiveness. Today, I want Jesus to come into my life. I want to repent. That word just means I want to turn around. I've been going in the wrong direction. Today, I want to repent. I want to walk to the Father. He's waiting for you with arms open wide. With every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're here and you say, Alex, I need Jesus, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to give you a mic. None of that. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're saying, Alex, I need Jesus, I need forgiveness. Today, I want to give him my life. I want a brand new beginning. At the count of three, raise your hand. Hold it up high enough, long enough for me to see you. I'm going to see who I'm praying for, and then you can put it right back down. Additional seating. There's pastors back there as well. Online, you write it in the chat. We got pastors there as well. If that's you, if you're saying, I need Jesus, I need forgiveness, at the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand as high as you can. Raise it up, raise it up, raise it up. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Yes, yes, awesome, awesome, awesome. Best move, amazing, amazing, amazing. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Hands everywhere, hands everywhere. You can put your hands back down. Awesome, I'm going to pray for all of you here, additional seating online. I want you to repeat this prayer with me from the bottom of your heart. In fact, the whole church, out loud in one voice, repeat after me. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. Today I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Come on, say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, that you died for my sins, and on the third day, you resurrected. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. From today on, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, and I'm healed. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Oh, come on, Calvary, can you put your hands together? The Bible says there's a party in heaven. Come on. God is good, amen. Hey, come on, we're going to celebrate all that God is doing in our house here at Calvary. If you raise your hand, we have a gift for you outside. You're going to see a bunch of team members waving this white bag, something like this. Yep, thank you. And uh, it says Calvary Church. It's a free gift from us to you. If you want to give us a phone number or an email, we're going to send you an email from me and Diana telling you how we can help you out. More importantly, there's a free Bible. Pick it up on the way out. Tell somebody, hey, I did that prayer with Alex, and they're going to give you that free gift.